0: So Element is doing a thing, a thing, and I would thought I would show you this thing. So here's the thing.
1: Hey Element, how's it going? My name is Jonathan Whitaker. I used to be one of the pastors at Element from 2010 to 2014. My wife Jennifer and I have been all over the world since then. We've learned a lot, we've been on mission, and we're excited to tell you about our new mission here in our new home. We're here in Colorado Springs where we're taking gospel community on mission. Welcome to Element CS. Welcome to my basement. As you can see, this space is already being transformed into the first gospel community in a church of gospel communities right here in Colorado Springs. This is the place to be. Jesus asked us to do two things during his earthly ministry. The first was love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's absolutely the mission of gospel community. But Jesus asked us to do one additional thing before he ascended, and that is to make disciples. Here at Element CS, that's exactly what we're using our gospel communities to do. Our mission at Element CS is to train leaders who can plant gospel communities in their communities and beyond for the purpose of saving the lost and training the saved. We look forward to this opportunity that God has given us to make disciples and start gospel communities right here in Colorado Springs. We're excited to partner with Element Christian Church in this great endeavor that's going to make the difference in so many lives right here in this thriving community.
0: Let me tell you how this kind of comes about too. Uh, so Jonathan, after they were stationed out here, they're stationed in Maryland. Then they got stationed in the UK, and about a year into being in the UK, the the Air Force chaplain got sent somewhere else, and so there's no one there to really take over that. And so God's like, Jonathan, do it. You know, I didn't burn a bush or anything, but felt like I was called him to. And over like a year and a half, he realized.
1: Ooh
0: over over like a year and a half, he realized that he he actually loves doing this and he feels like God is calling him to this thing. And so he they're stationed in Colorado Springs. There is a lot of airmen now who are going to Colorado Springs. And what they found is, uh, Colorado Springs is like church mecca. If you've never been, there's churches like everywhere. But what they found is that there's not a lot of focus on, like where we focus on gospel communities, connecting you guys with one another in communities that can actually live out the gospel in each other's lives. And, and they get there and so this is one of the things that the airmen were talking about. And so Jonathan was like, well, let's plant a church of gospel communities here. And they were moving that direction. We, we were like, if we didn't do it, they were probably going to do it anyway. But we want to totally be involved in the midst of this. And so uh, their official launch date is October 21st. And uh, Eric, one of our elders, and my wife and I and Michael, one of the guys here, were all flying out for that to be part of that launch on October 21st. And so it's really cool. Hopefully it's exciting for you guys too. Yay! Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you about another church plant where like somebody isn't happy about it. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were all excited. <laughs> uh, we're actually looking at doing a another church plant as well in Thailand. And so we're looking at partnering with a village there called Pak Chong. And it's and it's different than like a church plant you would think you know, how church plants go in America. And so we're working out kind of the logistics of that and what it looks like to be in that culture, to have element partner with this community that's there. We'll probably have more information around the end of this year, beginning of next year, about that. Uh, part of the reason why we want to do this is prostitution is huge in Thailand. And one of the things that we want to do is help keep girls from going down and getting involved in that. And one of the best ways to uh, mitigate that is through education. But unfortunately, the school system only goes up to a certain age there, and then the parents have to pay for it. So we're probably telling you about scholarship programs that are coming up for uh, people, girls in Thailand and young boys in Thailand to help keep them in school to get a better education so that doesn't have to happen to them. Uh, And we want to partner with a village that's there just to really bring the good news of the grace of the gospel to eventually, you know, the entire world. And there will be opportunities in the future. If you want to go on like a short-term missions trip to another country, uh, we will have a place over there and a village to actually connect and be part of because we want them to understand who Element is and how we're connected to them there as well as Colorado. So if you're ever in Colorado, you've got two places to go. See? Stateside or... It's exciting stuff, guys. Yeah. I think God's really good in in what he does and what he calls us into. So, if you're new to Element, welcome. Uh, There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. Uh, These are half sheets that go along with the message that I'm going to talk about today. Uh, If you are in a gospel community, there's actually uh, workbooks that we're going through as part of that as well. Uh, But either way, you can take these notes and go along with what's today because it's going to kind of go along with the chapter in this book. We're uh, doing a series through Tim Keller's book called The Reason for God. And we hope we get you all to be part of that. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live out the understanding of no other gods before you. And that we would find great hope in the truth that you are God and we do not have to be. And then we can trust your provision in all that we go through and all that comes into our lives and walk in ways of freedom and hope and goodness and grace because you are good. Amen. Have a seat. So as I said, we're doing this series called The Reason for God. Based on Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, because we're not that creative, uh, one of our elders, Mike Harmon, says, I like to quote Tim Keller a lot, so I thought, why don't I just do a Tim Keller book? Boom, there, we're good. Uh, if you are so inclined and you haven't picked one up, we were giving away one copy per family, so if you haven't picked one up yet, you can go ahead and do that. If you don't like to read but you want to listen, uh, you can get the Audible version. Uh, you can get a free 30-day trial from Audible. You get one book for free with that. And if you don't want to keep Audible, you can cancel Audible and still keep and listen to the book uh, this week. I would encourage you guys to read chapter three in the book. And this whole series was to culminate in what we're doing through the entire year about helping Element grow into a people who understand how Christianity is a reasonable faith that is based in history that God did something in human history that is verifiable that people who are intelligent can actually latch onto and trust that God is doing something that faith is more than just mere belief that faith is this Greek word that it. Comes Comes from is the word trust. And sometimes you may not feel like you have a lot of belief, like you have a lot of doubts. That's okay. Trusting who Jesus is and what he has done actually takes you through that. And sometimes you may feel like you have a lot of belief and nothing can sway you. That's great. It's still trusting what Jesus has done to rescue and save us. It's not how much belief we can muster up, it's trusting in what God has actually done. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how some people see Christianity as a straitjacket uh, that confines and stifles creativity and our freedom. Keller quotes Emma Goldman as saying that Christianity was "...the leveler of the human race, the breaker of man's will to dare to do, an iron net, a straitjacket which does not let him expand and grow." And people hold views of this of Christianity like this throughout the ages, and a lot of Christians don't know how to rationally answer them. It's part of the reason why we're doing this series. And so is you know, Christianity the, the straitjacket? Well, all the way back in the 1940s, there was a great Christian writer. Her name was Dorothy Sayers, and she penned these words. This is long. I'm going to read it. Don't let me lose you in this, but it could almost sound like it was written today, and not 80 years ago. This is what she says. It is worse than useless for Christians to talk about the importance of Christian morality unless they're prepared to take their stand uh, upon the fundamentals of Christian theology. She means the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It is a lie to say that dogma does not matter. It matters enormously. It is fatal to let people suppose that Christianity is only a mode of feeling. It is vitally necessary to insist that it is first and foremost a rational explanation of the universe. It is hopeless to offer Christianity as a vaguely idealistic aspiration of a simple and consoling kind. It is, on the contrary, a hard, tough, and exacting complex doctrine steeped in a drastic and uncomfortable Compromising realism. And it is fatal to imagine that everybody knows quite well what Christianity is and needs only a little encouragement to practice it. The brutal fact is that in this Christian country, not one person in a hundred has the faintest notion of what the church teaches about God or man or society or the person of Jesus Christ. Still sounds like today. She keeps going. If you think I'm exaggerating, ask the army chaplains. Apart from a possible 1% of intelligent and instructed Christians, there are three kinds of people we have to deal with. The frank and open heathen, whose notions of Christianity are a dreadful jumble of rags and tags of Bible antidotes and clotted mythological nonsense. It's still there. Uh, There are the ignorant Christians who combine a mild, gentle Jesus sentimentality with vaguely humanistic ethics... Still there. And finally, there are the more or less instructed churchgoers who know all the arguments about divorce and confession and communion but are about as well equipped to do battle on the fundamentals against an atheist or agnostic as a boy with a pea shooter facing a fanfare of machine guns. Theologically, this country is at present in a state of utter chaos, established in the name of religious toleration and rapidly degenerating into the flight from reason and the death of hope. I mean, that sounds like it could have been written today. And she doesn't say that to point the finger and say, oh, you guys are all terrible. She wants to bring about the idea of what the gospel can actually bring about in our lives. And at Element, we want you guys to be able to be part of the 1% who can speak about the goodness and the grace of the gospel. And that 1% would turn into the 100% who understand what Jesus really calls us to. And Jesus actually calls us to complete freedom in him. Our culture thinks that freedom means freedom to do whatever you want, and no one ever gets to tell you no. That you get to put your baby-making parts wherever you want to put them, and eat whatever you want, and listen to whatever you want, and watch whatever you want, and no one should tell you no ever. No one's allowed to do that. And unfortunately, that's the lie that got us into the mess that we all are in in the first place. That's the lie. Do whatever you want. Because in the end, that ends up in slavery. It doesn't end up in freedom. Keller writes this. He said, Christianity looks like the enemy of social cohesion and even authentic personhood. However, this objection is based on mistakes about the nature of truth, community, Christianity, and liberty itself. And so what I want to do today is not actually even go into what's in the chapter so much, but kind of parallel the chapter. And I want to talk to you about something that people in our world today view as a, as a straight jacket mentality. It's something that's so horrible that if we hang it up, people might actually follow it. I want to talk about the Ten Commandments with you. And how this is actually even about freedom and not about a straitjacket. The Ten Commandments come about because God is going to do something with His people. He's going to make a covenant with them. And a covenant, what this is, it's a means to establish a relationship based on faithfulness to a solemn vow for two parties that may not have been in a relationship before. And you're thinking, Okay, can you do that in English? What does that mean? Okay, It simply means it connects people in deeper relationship. Maybe people who weren't in relationship before or who were, but now in a deeper relationship. As an example, when people get married, that's called a covenant. There is a marriage covenant. It could be two people entering into business together. It could be two farmers working together on a piece of property. And covenant is meant to be restrictive. It is something that binds people together, but is it a straitjacket or can it actually bring more freedom? Again, like marriage. Marriage is a covenant that people commit to it because in a committed relationship, you become freer to trust and freer to love and freer to give yourself to somebody else because they've given themselves to you. Imagine if a guy is dating a girl, right? And he walks up and he says, you know, we're dating, but I feel that for me to be faithful to just one woman, that's too hard. I need to be true to the inner core of myself. When the inner core of myself sees an attractive woman, I've got to chase her down and I've got to talk to her and I've got to make her kind of go out with me, is that relationship going to last? No, we actually have a name for guys like that, by the way. And it, 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 Relationships work and grow deeper when two people actually trust one another. When people give themselves to each other in greater hope and love and freedom, that means they're actually committed. Marriage doesn't make people less free. It actually makes people more free because you can trust that somebody trusts you and you trust them. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. So the Ten Commandments are actually written in the form of a marriage marriage. Contract, a marriage covenant. And so when you look at it, you're going to see that God is now going to commit Himself to these people. The Ten Commandments comes in a place called Mount Sinai. And looked at from a non Western lens, you see it's not going to be the imposition of a bunch of rules to restrict freedom. That God is going to bring freedom to these people by covenanting with them. Ancient covenants, what they did is they always had a provision in them for preserving a copy of this covenant so both people would have a copy. How, how they're going to treat each other. So Moses comes down from the mountain with these Ten Commandments. Have you ever seen this old movie called History of the World Part 1 with Mel Brooks? He comes down and, he's, and he, Moses has these three tablets in his hands. And he says to Israel, The Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15. And then he drops one. He's like, These ten, these ten commandments. And if you've ever seen a picture of the Ten Commandments that are on a wall, it's usually like five on one, five on the other, right? say, okay, that's not how it was. All ten were on each one because there's provision. There were two of these tablets because Israel got a copy. Who gets the other copy? God gets the other copy. And it's not that God forgets. It's that God is saying, I will be true to the covenant that I have made with you. And then God gives both these copies to the Israelites to put them in this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Kind of like Indiana Jones, but a little bit different. But it's kind of like this carrying case for for these tablets. And the scriptures talk about how when Israel first saw these tablets, they stood up. Because it wasn't just a list of rules. This was God promising his presence. I will be with you. One of the reasons I have you guys stand at the beginning of every message when I read God's word is I just want a little bit of that in you that's like God has spoken words to us. And we get to hear those. And so we stand because we just want to hear a little bit of what he's saying in that. Now before the Ten Commandments were given, God says this. Exodus 19, going to start in verse 4. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now those words that God speaks there are given right before the Ten Commandments come. So... That's in Exodus 20. You can open your Bibles there, by the way. In Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments come. So this is before the Ten Commandments are actually given. And when this arrangement then shows you, it's not based on their prior obedience. It's not based on legalism of any sort. God's taking a bunch of slaves that he brought out into a place of freedom. These people who have been told that they have no value. God says, you have value. You are my treasured possession. When they've told, you have no identity, God says, you have an identity, you're a holy nation, you have a destiny, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. And the Ten Commandments were never designed to be a standalone list of rules, they always come in a relational context. In Judaism, they're not even called the Ten Commandments, they're called the Ten Statements or the Ten Words, because they're rooted in the way that things actually are, they flow out of how we were designed and how God made us to be. Rabbis actually teach that it's not so much that you break the Ten Commandments, but you break yourselves on them because they're rooted in who we are. So I want to talk about these things that people today think are such a straitjacket and how they're actually freedom. It's going to parallel the chapter. not going to cover a lot in the chapter this week, but go along next to it. So number one, uh, Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. It says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, first off, this does not mean that God is insecure or that there are other gods. It means that spirituality, reality 101, uh, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I know we want to put all kinds of dates and times all around that, but the reality of that is that God did it. That's what we trust that God did. There is a God, and he's not us. God is God. And that's something we got to think about real hard when God starts the commandment this way, because he's saying, if I'm God, that means you're not. You're not. I am. And God reminds them of His provision in saving them and then reminds them He is God. And what He's saying is you don't have to be God. You can stop trying to to pretend to be something you're not. I will be God. I will take care of you. You know what that leads to? Freedom. That's what it leads to, because we don't have to be God. Number two, Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. That's the word for idol. You shall Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So what God now says is, don't worship creation. Worship me as the creator. God is a jealous God. Now, God's jealousy is not like our jealousy. When we're jealous, it's because somebody has something we want, or we didn't get that thing, and oh, how come I didn't? And we've been jealous of all these other things. God's jealousy is for us in a way that we would live in peace and grace and hope and the good news of what he has done, that we would actually be God's image bearers in this world. We'd actually live as God made us to live. We were made to worship him. And if we don't worship him, we will worship something else. Whether it's our job or the people around us or sports teams or sex or money or ourselves, God wants us to be free. And what he says is, don't give your ultimate allegiance to something that is temporal. Trust me. I want you to live in freedom. Number three, Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Here a little uh, shift takes place in, in the text, because the first two commands, God speaks directly. I am the Lord your God. And you begin with the third command, it shifts, and somebody else is talking about God in the third person. Don't take his name in vain. So what's going on? At one point in Genesis 20, verse 19, in the Sinai narrative, the people will stay at a distance, and they'll say to Moses, uh, Moses, they say, you speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. The intensity of being in God's presence is too overwhelming for them. And so the rabbis teach that after the second command, the people said, Moses, uh, you talk to him for us, and you let us know what he said, because it... Scares us, so you go do it. We'll be over here like this. So the rest of the commands, God is now spoken of in the third person. So taking God's name in vain. People do not get this. Uh, even if we just don't understand it. We think this is God's na- saying God with the word damn after it. Oh, you've used God's name in vain. This is taking God's name upon yourself while not living for Him. Again, I keep telling you this, that human beings were created to be the image of God in the world. One of the reasons God says, don't make any images of me, is that we were meant to be God's image bearers. When people looked at us, they were supposed to see what God was like. Do you want to know who God is? Look at his people. They're to be his image bearers. How well do we do that? Not always the greatest. We're pretty bad at it. We start to think, instead of being God's image bearer, we think, well, I am God. And then we get offended when other people don't treat us like we're God. So taking God's name in vain means claiming to be something like a follower of Jesus and not living as God's image bearer in the world. It could be uh, it could be saying, don't claim to speak in the name of God while not speaking the words that God would actually say. I think this is really important in our political climate today. Don't speak words that in God's name while not actually speaking the words that God would actually say. This is really good words for a lot of people today. Stop pretending to be what you are not. Stop pretending. This is not a straitjacket. This is about freedom. Number four, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God intends for his people to work and to rest. I know for some people, resting is not so much of the issue. You work like three to five hours a week, and you're like, whew, I got to take a nap. That was really tough, right? But other, other people, you work all the time, and you need to learn how to rest. The idea is don't worship your work. You worship God. Don't think that all your security is going to come from that job that you're doing. You trust who God is because God leads us in to freedom. Uh, number five, Exodus 20, verse 12. Uh, honor your father and mother. You might think but my father and mother weren't honorable. Maybe you were adopted. You don't even know who your parents actually Are This is the idea behind it that don't let that skew your understanding of the reality of motherhood and fatherhood because most people at some point in their lives will probably become mothers or fathers. You esteem that role of motherhood and fatherhood. Don't let this thing that has happened to you in your past define the good things that God has set out for you in front of you. Don't let this bondage, this slavery, hold you down. Live in the freedom that God has designed you to live within. Number six, Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about the capital punishment argument and stuff like that. It's a rabbit trail. You forget what I was saying altogether. But the Hebrew word here means taking an innocent life. It also has the connotation of taking a life through negligence or carelessness. So this would extend to being a bully, I think, and pushing someone to do something heinous where they kill themselves or kill somebody else. Uh, there's a news story I saw last night of another mom who had locked their baby in the car in the heat while they went to go have lunch. I think it refers to that. I think it refers to getting lit and then hopping in your car and driving your car around somewhere. When you get to Jesus, Jesus takes it so far and he talks about carrying grudges around and not offering forgiveness. Why? Because when you walk around with the grudge, you are not free. And God wants you to be free. Number seven, Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Seems pretty self-explanatory, right? Okay, but I do want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. Uh, because this means that you know trust is meant to be honored, but you can also read this as, you shall not break the peace of marriage. So that would then entail the idea of being sexually pure with your spouse, not being given to lust, but it also means that we continually seek peace with our spouse because God has sought peace with us as a people. And then if you look at the rest of the scriptures, this, is, this isn't this is drawn out to see that it's even bigger than that because maybe you're not married you think, oh, I don't got to listen to that. Well, we kind of do because this is the idea that we seek peace in all of our relationships. I don't know if you've, married, if you've married and ever had a fight with your spouse. Never? Okay. Have you ever had a friendship and you and you have a fight with a friend at one point? How, how do you feel after you have that fight? Are you free? Not at all. You walk around with this thing laying upon you all day long. You're beholden to that. You're stuck in the aggravation, sometimes the guilt of what you said or maybe what they said. And God wants us to live in freedom. That's why you offer forgiveness and grace and you walk that way. Uh, Number eight, Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. Also, seems very self-explanatory, but we tend to steal not because we're in want or need, but because we're selfish. Like, well, we'll cheat on our taxes, right? Or maybe I know people who have lied at a restaurant about how good or bad the meal was to try and get a bigger discount or get their meal for free. Uh, a lot of people claim that they don't steal, but think about this. God calls us to be generous. God says everything that you have, even the mind that you have to do the job that you do, was given to you as a gracious gift from me. So how often do we give some of our income away? When we go through life and we're focused just upon ourselves and our wants and our own desires, trying to get everything we want, we're not free. We're in slavery. Everything that our world says, go get this. Oh, that's freedom. Grab onto that thing. What it does is it actually becomes slavery. And God says, be a giver. Be joyful in generosity. Don't go through life as a taker. Uh, number nine. I know I'm blazing through these. I did a series once where this is a couple months long, so you're welcome, by the way. Uh, number nine, Exodus uh, 20, verse 16. Uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That means lying. So let me see if, if you know this. Uh, when you think about Jesus' words, who is your neighbor? Everybody. Exactly. Everybody's your neighbor. Those you like and those you don't. Who's the person sitting next to you right now? Your neighbor. It's my spouse. No. That's your neighbor too. Okay. you got to treat him with kindness and grace and all that. Uh, the person at the checkout counter at Costco who writes a check? It's your neighbor. The guy in front of you at the gas station that goes up to pay in cash rather than using a credit card like a normal person. Neighbor. 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 The person who doesn't understand that the right lane turns right in a (laughs) roundabout. Right lane turns right. You do not need to stop. People float to a roundabout and they go like this. You don't even look that way no one's coming from that way it goes like this right lane just it's your neighbor okay that 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 is that is your neighbor it means all things we are people who speak of being uh, with integrity and truth you know what the truth is the right lane turns right at the roundabout that's what the truth is if, if you don't like someone's post on Facebook, don't thumbs up it and say, yeah, when you think they're a dummy. Don't do that. We, we don't lie because when you lie, you have to remember all the lies that you have said and you are under bondage to these lies and God wants you to be free. 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 Number 10, last one, Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, don't get lost in the language, like, I never coveted my neighbor's ox or donkey, I'm doing pretty good. So your neighbor is then everyone, and this command now talks not just about our actions, but the attitude of our hearts in the midst of it. When your heart envies others when your heart wants what other people have, when we refuse to live the life that we have been given because we think everyone else has it better, you are not free. You are a slave, and God wants to set us free. Do you see how something like the Ten Commandments warned not about slavery, not about a straitjacket, but about freedom? And again, this is why rabbis taught. You don't necessarily break the Ten Commandments, you break yourselves against them. So when these words were given to the earth, has Israel just traded in one form of slavery for another? They used to be bound to Pharaoh, and now they're bound to Yahweh, still not free? Not at all. Because when we are bound to God in Christ, we get to live in great freedom. Surrendering our lives to Jesus is, is constraining, in a sense, because it frees us to who we were actually always meant to be. We are told in the scriptures that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Everything we could not measure up to, he lived the perfect light for us. And this is true, and it's freeing, but there's even more. Because God wants to return us to the people that we were always meant to be image bearers of God. By Jesus dying and raising him from the grave, it doesn't mean that God's character changes. It means that we actually get to understand that there's something God calls us into, and that is deeper than our own particular opinions. And this is why the scriptures are really big on this scary word in America today that is called obedience. Uh, John Orper said there are two great reasons for obeying what God has laid out. I'm going to give you both those. Number one, he says, obedience to God increases the freedom that matters most to human beings. Obedience to God increases the freedom that matters most to human beings. And this is what I talk to you guys about a lot, that typically we look at freedom and we think there's, there's two types. There's freedom from external constraints, anybody telling you what to do, and there's freedom for becoming the type of person God calls you to be, the thing that our spirits and our hearts and our souls long for. The main way we think about freedom today in our society is freedom from external constraints. Nobody can tell me what to do. It is my personal rights. I'm going to listen to my heart and I'm going to listen to my inner voice. I'm going to tell you the truth about your inner voice. He's an idiot, or she is an idiot, or we're that, that That's the deal, because our inner voice says, get that, eat that, drink that, smoke that, sleep with that. And then we do those things, and we end up being in bondage to all those things. We're like, how come I'm not free? This is supposed to make me feel so good. And it doesn't, because you're in bondage to those things. And the freedom that we lack is not simply limited by external constraints. Our freedom is limited by an internal reality of our own brokenness, and our own weakness, and our dividedness. Sometimes people want to stop doing some of the things that they're doing, and they realize, I can't stop doing these things. And it affects your family, and it affects your workplace, and it affects your kids, and it affects all of these things, because we are not free. Because the freedom that we lack is this internal freedom. And that becomes much more dehumanizing and much more tragic than external constraints. How do we become free? We actually turn our life and will over to somebody who is greater than we are. We turn them over to Jesus. We recognize there is an order and that God designed us a certain way that we are not the center of the universe. We're not the master of our fate. We're not the captain of our ship. That there is a God. That's why the biblical writers make such a strong connection between God and freedom. The psalm writer in Psalm 119 verse 45 out of the NIV says like this, I will walk about in freedom for I have sought your precepts. That's your laws, your ways. James 1.25, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. he will be blessed in his doing. When we make our desires our God, it always ends up in slavery. When we turn our desires over to God, it always leads to freedom. And the freedom that matters most to human beings is the freedom that actually comes from obeying who God is. And secondly, we obey God because God alone in all the universe is worth obeying. And if you think Christianity is a straitjacket, just out to infringe upon your freedom, you will always find ways to rebel. Now, Christopher Hitchens in his book, God is Not Great, wrote this. If the Bible were true, it would, total, it would be a disaster because it would mean living eternally under a divine totalitarian despot. It would be like living in a celestial North Korea, but worse because you could at least die to get out of North Korea. Is that who God is? Not at all. Not at all. And when we look at something like the Ten Commandments, people think, oh, it's, it's so constraining. It's not. It's about freedom and hope and life. And I wanted to suggest if you actually read the scriptures, if you read the Reason for God book, God actually gives a very clear picture of who he is. Think about what God has done to bring us freedom. These are great words that get spoken over us. This is Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ, uh, Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is reality 101 of who God is. He takes away our sin and our condemnation and our shame in himself, and he rescues and he restores us. In Luke 22, verse 20, Jesus says of his impending death, this is the new covenant in my blood. Why the new one? Because we broke the old one. We're terrible. This is the new one. Our relationship with God is now based upon Christ's obedience and his work and what he has done. He dies, so we get to live. We get his righteousness, and he gets our rags. The truth is that he died and rose to set us free. There's a couple things in this. First, please read the chapter, if you have it, chapter 3. It's called, Christianity is a jacket. See, so it kind of goes along with what I'm saying. And I barely touched on it, but there's so many good things in there about how the scriptures are honoring to so many diverse cultures, much more so than the multicultural movement is today. But I wanted to get across to you the idea, the simple fact that God intends for his people to live in freedom. He has done everything to make it possible that the gospel, the good news of Jesus' rescue of us, is not just something that's good for the moment you believe. The gospel doesn't just save us, the gospel keeps us and it, when things come up and make us want to move into these other areas, remember that the gospel has spoken great words into our lives, and it keeps us trusting in God's freedom and God's grace, because we understand His goodness, that everything that separated us from God and us from one another, this thing called sin, was taken care of in the person of Jesus Christ. When we talk about communion, and you understand the breaking of that cracker, like Christ's body was broken for us, dipping it in the wine or the grape juice, reminding us of His blood that was shed for you and me, this is about freedom. This is what God did to purchase and bring freedom. God doesn't send Jesus to the cross to constrain his people. He sends Jesus to the cross to die for what separated us from him and one another so we can begin to live how we are meant to live in the freedom that he provides. Nothing in this world needs to hold you down and make you its slave because God has come and offered his people freedom. And everything else around us so wants to ensnare and entangle and enslave us. And God comes to set us free because he is good. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion, as I said. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, if you are in a place today where maybe you have seen Christianity as a straitjacket, I can never trust Jesus because it's so confining. And maybe you get a bigger picture of the freedom that God actually wants to bring to us. Or maybe you have something in your life where you feel like God couldn't love you or, or accept you into his family because of things you've done. You're living in, in this shame of who you are or who you've been. They would love to pray with you about to help you to understand that our shame does not keep us from the family of God. That what we have done or what has been done to us or what we have done to others is all taken care of in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can come into relationship with God again. We can actually live in the freedom that he provides. We can be the people he made us to be. And that doesn't happen by following a list of rules. It happens by following Jesus first and foremost in our lives and everything that we do. Because when we start to follow him first and foremost, it changes how we interact with everybody around us. It changes how our interpersonal relationships and it also changes our attitude about ourselves and our relationship with God because we understand who he is and what he has done. Because our God is great and good. We need to live in that goodness and stop focusing so much on ourselves and what we think we're not getting out of this world and begin to see what God has done in the midst of this world where we live now to rescue and save us. Uh, there's offering boxes next to every door we give because God gives so much to us, giving us part of our worship. We do not pass the plates in response to what he's done. Uh, there's food out there. Grab something to eat. Take some sermon notes. If you're not in the gospel community, kind of walk through those with some friends this week and talk about you know what, what things in your life are you beholden to? What things are you in bondage to? What things do you pray that God would set you free from because you feel like you're never free? And allow him to move you to the place where you understand the true and the great freedom That he brings to us. Because our God is great and good. And he is the only one who enables his people to truly live in freedom. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you, as our great God, would remind us of your grace. And the wholeness that comes from what you have done to rescue and save us. I ask that we would be a people who understand the central truth of Genesis 1-1 and the first commandment that You are God alone, and we are not. And the beauty is that we don't have to be. We don't have to hold our own lives in our own hands. We can trust you for the rescue and salvation of all that we are. You can come and take all the places that we have put ourselves into bondage and you break those chains and you set us free to trust who you are. And so today, Father, remind us of what true freedom actually looks like and that we'd be able to live that out in the world around us so that people would see what real hope and life looks like not a people beholden to others' opinions about us or beholden to the things that bring us comfort, but we are a people who are solely beholden to who you are because you are the one who rescued and saved us and made us and you know what our lives are supposed to look like and be. So teach us to trust you for the purpose of the freedom that you provide that we can be a people who learn how to worship you, not just in singing a couple songs, but in all that we do, honoring you with every bit of who we are, because you are good. We ask these things in your son's good name.
1: Amen.